Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rocket back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 16, Mystery and Wax, is the geek of steel himself, Luke Bug. Welcome to the show. Hello, sir, and thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. This is something that we've, uh, we've been in the planning for quite some time, and we've finally, the stars have aligned, and we can come on and, and talk about this show, because um, I've got a lot to talk about regarding this particular episode, and to talk about you as well, if we can, because I've got questions for you that we will get to later on. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a fun show. I never turned down an opportunity to talk about myself. So that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. <laughs> this is why we do what we do. <laughs> for sure. We were just talking off mic, but I'll say it again now on the record here, that one of the best things about doing this has been connecting with fellow Superman fans like yourself and people like yourself mm -hmm. from all around the world. And so to be able to talk about this 70-year-old series uh, with a fellow super fan is always, is always a delight. So I'm excited to get into this. Now, in a second, I want to ask you about you know, your, your overall experience with Adventures of Superman. But speaking about this episode in particular, this was season one, episode 16, air January 2nd, 1953. Quick side note, I, I know that especially with these season one episodes uh, and the fact that it aired in syndication, there, there does seem to be some disagreement online about some of the airing dates and episode order. And so I've seen Mystery and Wax, which I have as 16, and Treasure of the Incas, which I had as 14. I've seen them flipped in a couple of places, but I've been following the IMDb listing, and so that's mm. why we're here when we are. But in any event, written by Ben Peter Freeman, directed by Lee Sholem, and our synopsis, a series of prominent metropolis citizens seemingly commit suicide after their deaths are predicted by Madame Selina, and none other than Perry White is next to have a death figure unveiled at the Wax Museum. Now, you and I were emailing, and I, I gave you kind of a list of episodes that were open, and I was curious which one interested you most. And you jumped at this one. You said, Mystery and Wax is a fun one. So what was it about this episode that made you want to do this one? I, as we all do, jumped on Google. I wanted to, to sort of, there were so many there to choose from, and I wanted to make sure that I picked something interesting to talk about. And this is one that after sort of reading the brief synopses of, of the other episodes, I thought, wow, this is, for a show going back all those decades, this is this is dark territory for essentially a, a, a kid's family TV show. How are they going to tackle this? And anything to do with, you know, a little bit spooky, things like waxworks and and things such as this, I was like, okay, this this sounds like a good one for me. And yeah, and it did not, it did not disappoint at all. This this really was a fun one. I really had a good time going through this, and I know we'll have fun talking about it. Now, as far as your history, your experience with the George Reeves Adventures of Superman series, when and where and how did you first encounter it, and what role, if any, right, has it played in your Superman fandom? This is the thing that I wanted to talk about most on here. One of, well, one of the many things is that, of course, I know of this series, of these characters, of this chapter in the Superman tapestry, as it were. But this is all completely new territory for me. 
which is why this was the perfect gateway for me to begin my adventure in watching this TV series, to be able to speak with you about why it is such an important part of Superman's life. I, I could go onto any forum or any social media page and say, why should I watch this program? Why should I add it to my many list of TV shows that I have to watch? Because there are an abundance these days of shows that one has to keep up with. But to hear it from such a passionate fan about why I should watch this show, it's why it was a big part of me wanting to come on here today to talk to you. So this was my first really main episode of this show to watch because I wanted to go in completely new. And they, they've been quite hard to find over the years on DVD and VHS in the UK, especially going back to like you know the early internet days, as it were. But... Luckily for me, they are all online now, and I have purchased quite a few episodes today through Amazon Prime, and I've been looking on the DVD sets on eBay because I feel that I need to to binge all these now, not only from watching this episode, but listening to some of your episodes as well and, and hearing what passion you have for this show, but your guests as well. So I'd like to say thank you very much for taking up even more of my very very free time to watch more episodes off this show and your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that That's great to hear. You know, it's really interesting because we've had a mix of guests on the show and we'll continue to have a mix. You know, I've had people in their fifties and sixties who grew up watching it, not in first run, but in syndication in subsequent mm. decades. Uh, eventually we'll have, we'll have some folks on who grew up watching it when it was initially airing. You know, I've had people, you know, like myself and, you know, the thirties and forties who came to it far more recently. One thing that's been kind of a little bit of a theme on the show is a lot of people discovered it, or at least had more of an opportunity to watch it when those DVDs initially came out around the time of Superman returns. And we've lamented on this podcast a lot that I wish it were more readily available. I mean, thankfully, yes, you can buy them digitally on Amazon Prime, on Vudu, various places there. But as far as streaming through a subscription service or readily available cheap DVDs or Blu-rays, not to be had. I mean, we, we are in the 85th anniversary year. I was kind of hoping of Superman generally. I was kind of hoping like if there were a time, this would be it. This is it. No, I mean, I'm, I'm all for physical media. We never know when films or TV shows are going to get taken off Netflix or Amazon. And it's nice to have a, something physical, to have a collection behind you. Like with my shelves behind me, There's it's something nice to look at and hold and feel like a piece of that history. And over the years, you know, sometimes you can, yes, order DVDs and Blu-rays from different countries, but they won't necessarily work on your devices in UK or Europe. So it's always difficult. So I have found some suppliers now of these DVDs, and I, I am looking forward to to acknowledging this part of Superman's history. It's something that I've always addressed over the years. You know, it's to respect the past of Superman, but also embrace the future as well, because all these separate chapters over the years, whether it be Smallville, whether it be the adventures of Lois and Clark, whether it be anything, I'm always happy to get more content about Superman. Because as long as we're getting more content, his legacy lives on. So this is why uh, in, over the years I've, I've dealt with people that can be quite gatekeeping, as it were, and sort of, you know, you can't watch this because you haven't watched this and you don't know who that person is. It's the same with the Superman comics. I, I'm, I'm always constantly learning new things. 
I would never claim to be an, an expert when it comes to Superman because there is so much out there to learn. But I'm always willing to learn more things because it brings me closer to this character that I adore. So now I get to speak to you about this show. It's going to make another part of that Superman mythos a part of me. So I'm grateful for that. Oh, of course. No, I, I love hearing all of that. I think we're we're like-minded in that sense, right? Of trying to remain open and flexible and willing and eager to learn. I've done a hundred episodes now of my other Superman yeah. podcast, Digging for Kryptonite. And I, you know, I, I still would not call myself an expert. It's like, I'm still learning. There are still gaps that I haven't closed yet in terms of reading or watching or listening. And it's mm-hmm. it's a fantastic process to go through it. And I think what's particularly interesting to hear from you that this was your introduction to the Reeves series, you know, people listening to this or watching on YouTube uh, might be familiar with you and your work. So your website, the podcast of, or the geek of you have a podcast called the podcast of steel, which I know by the time yes. this episode is out, we'll be back. So hopefully people will check yes, that out as well. well. Uh, you have a strong social media presence. So, you know, you're out there, you, you know, you are in the Superman fandom. This is a character. I know clearly you have a lot of passion for yet. There's still this pocket, right. That had remained unexplored. And so that's one of the cool things about doing this show in particular to whatever extent, whether it's the guests on the show or our audience members, if it prompts people to kind of check it out for the first time or maybe just kind of go back to it, right? Because it's there is so much to your point. Like there's so much mm. to, to go through that sometimes it might get a little lost in the shuffle. So to whatever extent we can sort of help bring this back up in people's minds and hearts, I'm all for it. And that's it. I mean, obviously I, I'm aware of that part of, of the Superman history. I've seen lots of props at the Superman Museum and you know, it's 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 a huge part, you know. It's it's a massive part of Superman. If we again, if we didn't have many of these shows, we wouldn't have the next thing or or the or the previous thing. There's there's a whole sort of red string theory that you could put on a massive chalkboard about Superman and where he comes from. So we we need to respect every single aspect, the good, the bad, and and the sometimes the ugly, like some of the um the waxworks in this episode, which I hope I won't be dreaming about this evening because I was sure I was trying to get as close to my TV screen as possible that one of these, there was a head on a pedestal. I'm, I was sure that was real and it's about to blink or move because he was so spooky, but we'll, we'll get into those props later on, but it was a great episode for me to begin with. That's for sure. And it's, it's, it's given me a hunger for more. I want to, to binge this and I'm going to enjoy that journey as well. Yeah. So I'm so curious, obviously we're here to talk about this specific episode, but what, what were your impressions of the show generally? And in particular, this depiction of Clark Kent and Superman? I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan of it. Um, you can see where it's sort of advanced from those early days of the radio plays into live action, making a movie into a TV show, going from sort of animated shorts to something a bit for a wider audience, for the mums and the dads and the people that want to get back in and sort of enjoy entertainment. And I was loving what I was seeing. Short storytelling, done well, very precise, introductions to characters, introductions to a plot. You, You try and sort of solve the case yourself. There's a lot of detective work in here, as well as a lot of journalistic integrity between Lois and Clark. And Perry White was was wonderful in this especially. Perry White is a character that I often hear in my head when I'm being told off at work for doing something that I shouldn't be doing 
or if I've not got working on time, there's a voice in the back of my head, a lot like Perry White. And this version, it was um, it was beautiful. I loved it. And for, a, again, my first episode is definitely wanting me to watch a lot more of this. Oh, that's awesome. Well, speaking of Perry, because he comes up a fair bit, and I've oh. I've been... I guess a little hard on this version of Perry White, because when you think about the character, there's sort of this, this range of gruffness, right? We've seen many different depictions. And I think in terms of how gruff they are, it it varies by project, by era. And this Perry, for the most part, there have been some pockets of exceptions here and there where you get to see a little bit more of a, a, a nurturing or paternal side, which I, I tend to like in my Perry White. But for the most part, this is an overly gruff, Perry, it fits the show and the times and all of that, but it's one that I don't have like as much attachment to. What's your favorite flavor of Perry White? I like him when he gets caught off guard in those moments when he's looking out for Superman or well, or Clark and Lois. He still wants to get the story right and out on time. He's a man that loves efficiency, but he's more invested in people that can deliver a story for him. And he wants to hear their version of the story. He can get a new story from anywhere, some Joe on the street or somebody just talking to him. He wants to hear somebody else's truth, opinion and interpretation of the events. But when he gets intertwined in the story sometimes, like with this particular episode, he loses that, not professionalism, but you see more of an open side to him. You see he's more honest. And yes, you do see him gruff and angry and upset and slams his fist down on a table and his ashtray goes all, goes all over him. And it's those moments when you don't see the boss of a newspaper. You see this man that has a passion for the truth and for storytelling and for wanting to get the best, not only out of his paper, but the people that work for his paper as well. I'm glad you mentioned that ashtray scene. I had made a note of that as well. We'll get to it in the episode, but it's at the point after he's been predicted to die and Clark is trying to convince him to to have a bodyguard. And of course, Perry refuses. And in frustration at the end of that scene, as you said, he, he slams his fist down on the table and hits the ashtray and everything comes flying up. And from his reaction, I said to myself, was that planned? I mean... It was right there, so it really it's you know it, it seemed like yeah. it was by design. But his reaction, I don't know. Maybe he didn't expect as much to come flying up at him because it. And I was I was looking through IMDb trivia and some of the books that I have and things like that. I didn't come across anything uh, in that preliminary research that because there have been instances <laughs> where you know we've kind of been looking at behind the scenes trivia and it's like so and so really got hit in this scene and they were on you know like we've had stuff like that. Uh, I didn't find anything here, but so I would say, if nothing else, great performance because he really sold. Oh, yeah. He really sold the fact that he didn't mean to do that, really and he was did. surprised. <laughs> but no, and it's moments like that when you see a different side to a character in those in those more sort of quiet moments, and yeah, and in that those few frames when he does hit the ashtray, as you said, his face does change. It's, you know, it almost looks at the camera. Was it on purpose or was it not? But it's it's. He's a strong character. And again, you know, it's, yes, it's a long time since Superman's been around, but we have to remember that Lois Lane and characters like Perry White and Jimmy Olsen have been around that same time as well. So they're as equally as, as important as Superman. So it's whenever we get to 
focus on another character for a little bit longer, whether it be somebody like Jimmy or Perry White. It's it's always a treat to see a different a different side of them in, in different lights. So when you see them in a gruff mood or a happy mood or a, or a playful tone, it, it's always nice because you get to see these characters in a different way. For sure. Now, you mentioned how surprisingly dark this episode was. And, and yes, it is representative of this first season. And one of the things mm-hmm. we've talked about and the adventures of Superman fans out there are, are well aware of the shifting tone of the series as it makes its way through its six seasons. And this first season, uh, which was filmed, uh, you know, from, from start to finish, and they, they sort of batched the episodes, so they would do, they would shoot, you know, four or five episodes in a block and kind of do like all the Perry White scenes in a row, uh, you know, in the, you know, in his office and so on. Uh, but, you know, so those were kind of done in a vacuum and they were darker and they really did play like these crime dramas uh, and, mm-hmm. and had this very noirish aspect in there. I mean, I love them. You do sort of wonder how children of the day <laughs> receive them. And they were, you know, my understanding is when, when Kellogg's came aboard as a sponsor and then they actually started airing these, that there were cuts that were made to kind of mm-hmm. soften it a little bit. But even within that, I mean, you still see people in various episodes getting shot or stabbed or in this episode, I mean, we have discussion of multiple suicides. I mean, turns out that they're alive, but still, there's still all of this talk. So season one has a very specific vibe. It is isolated to that first season. Season two, I think you sort of get a little bit of a, of a in, in my opinion, a kind of a perfect blend of the, the darkness of season one, but with more of the softness um, that mm-hmm. you'll get even more of in the later seasons. It's kind of a nice in-between. That's my memory of it. And then seasons three, four, five, and six, those are the color years. And that's where we get yeah. into a lot lighter, kind of sillier territory. Not not necessarily my preferred era of the show, but we'll, we'll, we'll see when we revisit it. I, see, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to now after diving into this. I, I'm looking forward to putting some time aside to, to starting from the beginning and enjoying seasons and then going back and, and listening to your episodes to hear your thoughts on it. Because if there's anybody out there that, again, not knows every single aspect of the, the show, but it's those opinions is because you know where, where the show has gone over the years. You've seen it grow and you've seen it change and, and you know why certain things have had to change over the years as well. Absolutely. So I think this is as good a time as any to dive in more specifically yeah. to mystery. And Please do. Yes. So I have to say, I looked up the guest cast here and a couple of things to note. We had recurring uh, bit player Stephen Carr, a brother of Tommy Carr, who directed half of the season one episodes. He pops up in about half of these. He's, he, he pops oh, up wow. all the time in various roles, Some sometimes little bit parts, other times very prominent supporting roles. <laughs> but he's here as Dr. John Hurley, the first person in this episode who we see receive an invitation to this exhibition at the Wax Museum. Uh, we also had Lester Sharp as Andrew, the husband of Selena. Uh, who's creating these these sculptures. But for me personally, this was such a weird coincidence. So Mira McKinney plays Madame or Madame Selena. And I looked mm. her up on IMDb and I saw the, you know, the little blurb and I, I clicked to read more. Her father is the person responsible for McKinney's Consolidated Laws of New York. Now I'm an I'm a lawyer by by training. I don't <laughs> practice, but I am Plenty familiar with McKinney's and 
that was her father's. So I was like, what a funny coincidence. And it's one of those weird things where all through law school, like you're always dealing with McKinney's and it's, he had the idea to kind of take all of these, all of these statutes and cases and consolidate them in these, in these digestible books that attorneys or students could kind of carry around and reference. And so, you know, that's something that I've heard and used a ton. And then uh, that was her father. <laughs> you like that? See, I, that's, I, I love things like that. I'm, always looking into things such as synchronicity of being in the right place at the right time and and things like that. See, you've got a link now, in a way, to this world of, of Superman, to this show, and this particular awful, awful character that was a fantastic villain, but just not nice to herself or her husband or her captors in this. It was great. Yeah, Absolutely. Oh, you know, just kind of, I guess, one other one other big picture question. So did you watch Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman? Yes, sir, I have. So did this kind of give you any any kind of shades of that show? I mean, obviously, this, this show doesn't deal with the romance, right? But kind of in terms of the cast that it's focusing on and that kind of case or story of the week? I mean, it's, it's that nice emphasis when you have a, a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know where you are. I love watching shows where I don't have to worry about different towns and different characters coming in for a special episode. It's a start, a middle, and an end. I get closure. I get to enjoy an episode, and I get escapism. And that's where I can see the emphasis in this as well with these characters. It's like, oh, okay, I know who these characters are, of course, but their chemistry between each other and everyone else was great. And yeah, I can I can see that similarity between the two shows. And especially with this one, when they were, they were all on the case, they were going off to different places, they all work together so well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I always think about that. And of course, Lois and Clark was the new Adventures of Superman, right? New, and so, yes. you know, kind of at least in that sense, you, you, you see that link. And, and I've been doing a fair bit of rewatching of that show as well. And so it's just kind of interesting to see, you know, separated by decades, but, um, you know, you kind of see uh, echoes, yeah, echoes of each other. The, the magic is still there, as it were. For sure. All right. So mystery and wax. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. We open with uh, an invitation being delivered 
to Dr. John Hurley. We don't see him. We only see his hands as he's receiving the invitation and he opens it up and uh, it's Madame Selena's Wax Museum and a special exhibition. And there's a note at the bottom that uh, it's going to be revealed who's next to die. Mm. Very ominous. And he crumples the paper. So Very dr- dramatic intro to a show with a very um, dramatic close-up of his hand as well as he was holding that paper and ripping it up. Well, hello, I'm in for a fun ride here. This is going to be interesting. And yeah, it was um, a very dark invitation to a, to a special event. I think looking back, maybe I should have picked a more lighter episode to um, enjoy. But I'm, I'm glad this is, you know, it's shown me the light in a way that not all shows get to be light and funny all the time. There needs to be some darkness mixed in there as well. And this, yeah, this was a, a very dark character. I, I honestly, I think you picked a, I think you picked a good one. I mean, having having seen all of these first season episodes and now having rewatched almost all of them because we're deep into the season now. This I would say this is one of the stronger ones. I mean, at the very end, we'll give our rating uh, on a scale of one to five fedoras. So okay. kind of let that oh, wow. let that percolate as. as okay, I've got to go now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I will say I think this was one of the stronger ones. So I was, you know, I was, I was happy when you picked this. I mean, obviously, I was covering it either way. We're you know we're going through all mm. of them, but no, you definitely picked you definitely picked a good one. I, I I love the first season a lot overall, but there have been episodes I have not enjoyed as much, or I've had more problems with this. With one or two exceptions, there were a couple of things that I bumped up against. But for the most part, I thought there was a really tight, moody, atmospheric episode. And I think it really kind of all tied together very nicely. So, no, you, you picked a good one. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> so from there, we go to the Wax Museum. And we have, you know, the audience sitting there in the gallery waiting for uh, for Selena and for this uh, wax figure to be unveiled. And she comes in and, you know, makes her way across the room and stands in front of everyone. What were your initial impressions of uh, Selena? Um, she was clutching some pearls. I thought, oh, we're going to have another Martha Wayne situation here. What's going to happen? And um, But after that, as soon as she started talking and almost looking through you as she was talking, I was like, okay, well, this is clearly the villain of this episode because it was just something about her very overdramatic very well-spoken voice when you're thinking, okay, there's um, there's something going on bet- behind those very evil eyes. And yeah, I was like, okay, I want to know more about this character. I know these are short episodes, but I needed an origin story about this particular character and, and, wh- and how she became to be this way. And I was like, okay, I can see why she's got these people all here together. Let's, let's dig into this story because I want to find out where this is going to go. Yes, absolutely. Definitely makes a strong initial impression. And yeah, she's very, <laughs> it's very dramatic. And as she's speaking, it's kind of this, you know, monotone, uh, like almost mm. possessed air that she has about her. And I guess that's the idea, right? She's, you know, as we come to learn, pretending. But as far as everyone knows, she's channeling, right, this other power, right? She's received, and we'll learn more about this in, in an upcoming scene, but, you know, she's been told who is going to die next and she's created the figure and that's what she's going to <laughs> unveil. And it's her unhappy duty, I think she calls it, right? She takes no delight in this, but she's no. just a vessel, right? And she is creating these figures that will portend who is next to perish. And she unveils the figure and of course it is dr john hurley who has quite quite a strong reaction yeah i mean um i thought this is some top-notch acting here this is you know this is a guy that's clearly done his training 
it was a, a very strong reaction. But again, I, I love seeing the effects of seeing, well, it's, it's not truly a waxwork as it were. It's just him standing in the same spot. So it was a very like-like. It was, it was very similar to what he did look like. So I would see, I would be quite scared if I saw myself in a waxwork museum as well. But yeah, strong reaction to say the least. <laughs> I know he's got the fist up to his mouth, but no, that is funny. I was thinking that too, right? Yeah, and with him and and then later with Perry, right? Of course, yes, the show did not create wax figures of the actors, right? So it's just them standing there. So yeah, you're right. I think that does contribute to the effect of how freaked out you would be. Literally, it's so lifelike. Have you been to a wax museum? Is that something of any interest? I I have, sir. Yeah, I mean, I've been to... um to a few of uh, varying qualities, put it that way. Um, we've got a few here in London, Madame Two Swords, which is a fantastic one. Um, I went on a, a family holiday many, many years ago uh, to a holiday town called Blackpool, which is up north. And at the time, I think I was around seven or eight, and it was like a like a horror waxwork. So you, you went through this museum with various scary depictions of scary-looking characters. And... Um, at the time, I didn't know that there were sort of paid actors walking around at the same time. And I felt the back of my jumper being pulled at the time. Uh, and I turned around and there was a small person with a scary mask on. And this person was at eye height with me at the time. And I was not a fan. I screamed the place down. I was in hysterics. Um, so much so that um, my mum and dad and sister carried on the tour. And I went off to the staff room. To, to be calmed down with a can of Coke. I remember that much. And um, I've got very fond memories of sitting down in this staff room with all these paid actors and all scary masks and makeup, just sitting down, having cups of coffee, drinking tea. <laughs> and I was just left alone. So there you go. That's the 1990s for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty... Uh, I, I could see how that could be traumatic. But at least then you got the behind the scenes and you got to see... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was fine after that. Once you took like this, it was... I think it was like... um some sort of scary bald mask. He took it off and it was just like, like a regular guy, of course. And he was like, okay, let's go and have a sit down. Let's get you not freaked out. I was like, okay. But yeah, so I have had some experience with waxworks. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have picked this episode. I'm going to get some like relapsed traumatic dreams tonight. I tell you what, goodness me. I know I'm a little, <laughs> a little worried now. <laughs> Hopefully it'll it'll be all right. If if you dream of it, sure. hopefully Superman will will yeah, enter the dream and everything will, everything Good will be point. all right. So hopefully we could just forge that connection and that will overpower yes. any fear of the wax figures. Yeah, I mean I did it I think just once in the city in New York and it was yeah I mean it was cool. It wasn't something that I ever. I mean we we have a small child and it's like when he gets older you know yeah I would I would probably do it one more time but it's not something that I've yeah. ever kind of sought out. But it, I mean it's it's amazing like it's amazing to see. Oh, yeah. but, um, but in any event, so we have this unveiling and Hurley's reaction. And uh, next we see uh, Hurley, allegedly, uh, stumbling, despondent, stumbling through the streets of Metropolis. And he makes his way to the pier. And he's like, taking off his clothes and he jumps into the water to his death. Mm. Even took his shoes off. <laughs> <laughs> he's there taking his clothes off and, and just jumps in. I was like, surely at, at this point I'm thinking, okay, well, someone's going to come and stop him. Someone's going to, you know, prevent him from jumping into this, in, into the sea. Nope. You just see him just literally jump out of the frame and just go deep, deep down. I was like, wow. Okay. Now this is how you, this is how you tell a story because now I, I really want to know more. No, that's the thing to, to your point. I think there, 
they really did a good job in this episode of building the intrigue because, you know, we're only given, obviously now you and I have the entire picture of this episode, but at this point, you don't really have much, right? The invitation talks about, you know, we're going to find out the next person to die. And then you have Selena's speech before it's unveiled, but you still don't really know what's going on. How does she potentially have the power to predict who's going to die? What, you know, what, what is going on here? And so, uh, it, it's very dramatic and I think it, it pulls you in pretty quickly to try to get a sense of, I mean, I think probably the thing that I was thinking of the first time I watched this was that, he, you know, he was just driven to suicide, that he was just so the fear of what could happen right over the upcoming months. Cause that's the, there's like the six month window that's given that he'll die within yeah. six months, right? That that fear would just be so overbearing. I mean, of course, it's quite severe if that causes you to instantly take the steps that, that he he appears to here. But still, I yeah. think it's that's kind of the initial, you know, yeah, initial it thought. Was, it was moments after he, he, he got the news. He didn't sort of get any of his affairs in order. He just, he wanted, I, I suppose, to be in control, if he could be in control of his life in that moment. And, and that's what we believe, as you said, that's what our we believe is happening, which was, oh, I do love a twist. And it was a good twist. Yeah. And then we see the next day, uh, the newspaper headline, right? Which, which now I think there's a little bit of a discrepancy here because the headline mentions that he's the fourth prominent citizen to, mm. to die by suicide re recently. But when we get to the next scene in Perry's office and later in the episode, it seems that there have been three so far. Unless I missed something, but it, it seems like there was a little bit of a of a discrepancy there. What was your take on that? Probably a, a deleted scene somewhere. We need to get the extra footage. I'm, I'm sure there's some cinema reel somewhere that I've got the the answers to all these questions on there somewhere. <laughs> I suppose, but but the headline is helpful, right? Because now this gives us more context, right? You get more of a sense of okay, we've had now a series of people who have been predicted to die. And then, and then took their own life. So what's going on? So then we go to uh, Perry's office and we have Lois, Perry, and Clark talking about all of this. Uh, in this scene and then later on in the scene where Perry refuses the bodyguard, I really felt for Clark in those scenes and in this episode because he is making the connection, I think very reasonably, that you have three people predicted to die who all then commit suicide there seems to be some connection. Lois and Perry are very skeptical of this. And and again, throughout it, I think there's even a part towards the end when he's talking about they've all the same sort of height and build. And like they're, they're, they're not believing him. They're not, I was like, come on, I'm a journalist as well. Let's listen to my input. We're all, we've all got ideas that we can use together. Why are you not listening to mine, which are the, you know, kind of the most reasonable <laughs> that are making the most sense. That's the thing, because it's not like, and I feel like Clark is pretty clear. He's not saying that there is some supernatural component at play here, mm. but there are these threads that, again, as, as you said, it's like as journalists, right, you need to follow them. Now, look, I know we need to have some tension in these scenes and these episodes, right? Like I, I get, you know, kind of from that perspective, but just in <laughs> in the in the moment of, of the story, I, again, I just felt for Clark. It's like this poor guy, <laughs> they're so quick to dismiss. You know, Perry allows him to go off and, and talk to Selene. He's like, well, talk is cheap, go. And then Lois, I mean, look, I love when Lois and Clark are together and they're investigating. So I was happy, but, you know, she's like, well, I'll go with you. So I thought, you, you know, you thought there was nothing to this. And she's like, yeah, but you yeah. do. So I'm going to tag along. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I'm going to do all the work again. And you're going to come and steal my story at the last moment. Thanks, Lou. 
Yeah, for sure. So I, again, Clark was really doing his his job here. I felt and, and looking for the connection points. Again, you know, d- doing the work, look, looking and and finding the story. Something that Perry White wants him to do, and now he's not. You know, he's not really pushing him forward in the right direction. In fairness, now I will say because Lois did bring up the point that I guess the police had looked into Selena at some point mm-hmm. and and cleared her. So at least there was that. There was something to kind of back up this idea of like, hey. This isn't the avenue to pursue, but at the same time, they didn't really have anything else. So at least Clark was on the ball. (laughs) As always. As always. So then we get to the museum and Lois and Clark speak to to the the gentleman who works there, who I initially just kind of thought he was some underling. We find out later he's her husband. Oh, yes. The poor, poor soul that is Selena's husband. Again, you think, oh, he must be like janitor or always there to sort of, you know, usher the people to their seats. Nope, he's there. He's, you know, he's the partner in crime, as it were. Yeah, the fa- so Andrew Dawn. And there's there's a, a kind of like a throwaway line from Clark in a later scene where he's just like, oh, Selena's husband. And I just kind of felt like, oh, that was key information. that <laughs> They just kind of like dropped in there. But yeah, I definitely assumed he was some kind of underling. But uh, they asked to speak to Selena and he goes off to fetch her. And, and while Lois and Clark are alone, they head into this, this hall of death. Quite a scene in here. So you have curtains, right, concealing the wax figures of the three men who have died by their own hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you pull a rope and the curtain parts and you see the death figure, the wax figure, and a phonograph recording plays of the victim describing their predicted and then eventual death. Lois describes the scene as gruesome, which it was accurate. What was your oh, yeah, no, reaction? It, it was it was one of the darkest moments that was sort of just like brushed off. It was like, okay, this person died because I said they were going to die. So here's this person and what they look like. And here's somebody else impersonating their voice. Um, and here's the next person. Just pull the rope and the curtains will display them for your entertainment. So, wow, this who who owns this company? Who Who's making money out of this? How much do the tickets cost? And, you know, why would anybody want to go? Because you might be the next person on display. <laughs> yeah, I, again, I think gruesome is is a very accurate word to to describe this. But again, I mean, it really contributes to the the atmosphere of the episode. Now, one thing that I was struck by here and not to spoil the episode, but I want to mention this here, the, the, the victims, right. As they're talking about their deaths, they do put dates on them. Mm. And the first one, if I remember correctly, I believe the date of death was 1949. I was doing the, trying to do the maths. Yeah. And the other one was, I think like the, uh, the early forties. I was like, okay, so this person, you know, there was, there's quite a gap there. Yeah. So, so a gap between the deaths. And, and so now of course, they filmed the first season in 1951 and then it aired in 52, but still, so let's say we're, we're in 1951 yeah. as, as we're watching this. Um, that's a significant period of time. Now, like I said, just to jump ahead, what we find out is that these people did not actually kill themselves. They are being imprisoned no. in the basement below the museum. And I don't yeah. mean to nitpick. But I can't help but sort of ponder how how feasible uh, Selena and Andrew's plan really is. How long <laughs> have they kept and are they planning to keep these victims? 
And if that was the case, that they are living there for more than a 12-hour stay, their cells, it was just a cubicle. There was no bed. It was a stool. How long are they keeping these, you know? I know it's a, I know they're sort of their, their prisoners, but show some compassion, at least, in a very almost covered, all confined next to each other. Oh, yeah. I know. I had that same thought, too, where, yes, they are they are exceedingly tiny, these cells that we'll see later in the episode. And, and again, I mean, I'm just, I know, I, clearly they're making a ton of money selling tickets to, to this death gallery. But at the same time, you, you have to feed these prisoners. I mean, clearly they've kept them alive, right? So you got to feed these prisoners. I mean, I, and, and just the constant worry that you're going to be uncovered. It's just how, <laughs> it just seems so unsustainable as a business model <laughs> to have these prisoners for seemingly for, I mean, I guess at some point, maybe they would let them go and blow town or something like that and, and then try to set up shop somewhere else. But they seem to be in it for the long haul. I think so. And I mean, if they are, as you said, leaving town and going somewhere else, that's, that's a lot of building work to be done. You know, make even though those those prison cells are very small, you've still got to find a good place for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like <laughs> that was like I said, it, it, there if there were if there was one thing I bumped up against in the episode, it was that it was just when you when you got those dates right, and you had the sense that at least that first victim had been there for for so for over a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's insane. And yes, again, again, the size of the cell, it's like you know you're muscles would atrophy. I mean, it's like they, they all looked pretty healthy when they were rescued at the end. But. Oh, yeah, they, did. yeah they, 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 were, they were very happy to be rescued, of course, but they were still just like, oh, bit of a bad back. You know, I've been stuck in this box for like six months. Let's go out and stretch the legs a little bit. Yeah. It's, and were they getting outdoor time, like an actual prison? I mean, were they, I mean, I, I doubt it, but again, it, it begs these questions. Yeah. I mean, even something like the hygiene of that situation has got to be, you know, a lot to leave to the imagination, but I couldn't see any ventilations, plumbing, waterworks. I didn't see any wax either. I'm not sure how she was making these waxes, but that's, you know, that's again, deleted scenes and nitpicking. It was, that was a bizarre concept. Yeah. I, you know, not to, not to second guess the villains here, but uh, I, I couldn't help but wonder if, again, we wouldn't have an episode if they did this, but I'm just saying with, with sort of, pretending we're in this actual situation. I feel like they just would have been better off finding people to go along with the ruse. Do you know what I mean? Like if instead of, instead of making it see, or I mean, again, the idea is that as far as the public at large thinks these people have killed themselves, but if, if the marks were people who were in on it and Mm. faked their deaths and then just disappeared, left town, whatever, then you don't have to worry about being caught. You don't have to worry about housing or feeding these people. No. Not at all. Or, you know, creating the crime scenes or, you know, putting them, throw them into the ocean. You've just got one person to look after. One set of clothes. You haven't going to get matching clothes for everybody else. It's, it's again, much easier to find some guy off the street to do this job for you. <laughs> Outsource. That's the way of the future. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, in any event, I, I think we've we've made some good points about how they could have improved the efficiency of their evil plan. But in any event, right. <laughs> he, is, here's where we are. And so Lois and Clark have this sit down with Selena and she's uh, she's offended at the at the designation, uh, the term a uh, fortune teller. Right. That's that's not what she is. And, and she goes on to sort of explain a little bit more about what what's happening. Right. Her or her version of it, at least, is that. Uh, she receives a vision 
of, of who's going to die. And she hears a voice that tells her to create this figure of them. And Lois has a great line there. Um, is that the one where she's, um, oh. About the phonograph? Yes. I had it written down. But you, you crackle because I can't even read my own writing now. But okay. <laughs> but she, when, when Selena talks about the voice, Lois says, not a direct quote, but something to the effect of like, are you sure it wasn't a phonograph recording like in your gallery? You know, something like That's that. It. And Clark. That's what I liked about it. It was that sassiness that she had in that. I was like, okay, because this this is, again, a new interpretation of Lois for me. I wanted to see how, how this was done. And again, it was inquisitive, but with attitude. Again, sort of, you know, oh, she clearly you're hearing voices, but is that voice the phonograph that you've already put out the back and, you know, made up yourself? It's, again, journalistic integrity with sass. I like those two combined. It's good. Yeah, this version of Lois has has really become an all-time favorite of mine. I, she's terrific. And as we talk about in virtually every episode, you know, we only have Phyllis Coates for the first season uh, of the show. Uh, and then Noel Neal takes over. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a different take on the character, a lot of value in it. But I think everyone I've talked to so far, we all tend to prefer the Phyllis Coates season one incarnation of the character. And I think this is a great, you know, again, just a small moment in this scene. But but you do see that that the inquisitive mind and the, and the toughness kind of digging a little bit. And I love Clark's, you know, Clark uh, clears his throat, right? So, so loudly, so comically to sort of, uh, you know, uh, quite, get quite a few times as well. He's like, that's enough, Lois. <laughs> like, Go on. Yeah, it's it's terrific. And so Selena, you know, really is is clearly no fan of Lois. Like when they get up to leave, she promises Clark, you know, if I have another vision, I'll let you know. And, uh, you know, shakes Clark's hand, but just leaves Lois hanging. Yeah, did not acknowledge that goodbye at all. She's like, oh, I'd love it if you could come back, Clark. Uh, let's just forget that there's somebody else in this room talking to me. I just want to ignore this person for the rest of my time. Yes. <laughs> Although, you know, we've seen versions of that in uh, Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, right? When they're investigating someone and they take a liking to Clark and, you know, <laughs> kind of yeah. are, are more dismissive of Lois. We've definitely seen uh, versions of that. But then after Lois and Clark leave, uh, it was interesting because you get to see Selena drop the facade, right? Because she, again, she's mm-hmm. had this air about her, right? This theatricality. Uh, and then they leave and Andrew kind of comes up next to her and she just drops it and laughs. And that's our first hint of like, oh, okay. Like now we have a sense of uh, of, of what's going on, that this is all a ruse. Yeah. Um, and when you hear a laugh such as maniacal as that laugh, if you don't already assume that they're the villain, then you need to get a hearing test because her laugh was just chilling. And it was quite a few times it happened. And sort of one of them, I think, laughed. It was, like, it was quite a, an extended laugh. I was like, okay, this is she, she, she's clearly got an agenda now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> very, very much so. I think what's cool about these episodes, and it, what's what I'm finding as I'm making my way through is the first time I watched all of these a couple of years ago, I essentially binged them. And so I remember the broad strokes, but I don't remember the ins and outs and twists of every single episode, which is great because as I'm rewatching these now for the podcast, I don't remember again exactly what every beat is of the episode. So I'm, you know, watching, I'm not quite sure. Yes. I mean, of course we know she's the, the villain of the piece, but it's like, okay, what is exactly happening here? And, and what, what is the plan and how is it working and how are they going to figure it all out? And again, I think this episode, as we've said, is one of the stronger ones, I think, in terms of, um, you know, kind of keeping you guessing about exactly what what's happening here. So, mm. uh, But yeah, so that was a cool moment. And then we were in Clark's office. And as you had mentioned earlier, 
you know, he's he's put and again another another instance of him really doing his job well, noticing a connection right among the victims that they're all of the same height and weight, about five eight and like one hundred and fifty eight pounds, something like that. Now. This was, I guess, the one other thing that I, I had a little bit of an issue with, right? This idea that they're targeting people, again, of the, of the same height and weight, because as we'll come to learn, right, Andrew is impersonating them and staging these suicides. Uh, and now, this came up, I don't know if this was IMDB trivia or somewhere, I came, I came across this somewhere, that I think the original idea for this episode was for Jimmy to be the next victim, but... Due to budget constraints, they couldn't have Jack Larson in the episode. Okay. And so they went with Perry. But when you line these guys up, I don't I don't know that I don't know that it that it quite that they all quite match. I mean, some were a little bit more slimmer than others, some were a little bit taller. I mean, I don't think if if they're targeting people, they need to be going to a certain tailors and just watching all the same size people come out of this shop. He it'll do. That's the next one. That's one after that. These guys, yeah, they didn't all look exactly like um, Andrew, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I th- you know, it's funny. I think, I mean, we didn't get the, well, I guess we did get a decent look at the at the earlier victims, but I feel like Stephen Carr played Hurley. He in particular, right, is like taller and slimmer. Mm. He felt like Tall, more of yes. an outlier, but mm. in any event, we won't, uh, we won't pick it apart too much. But it's, <laughs> just, it's just interesting. But again, I appreciated Clark's. Uh, you know, investigative prowess in making this connection. And uh, Perry comes in and he says that they've all received invitations uh, to the next exhibition. And one of them, I, I don't know if it's Clark or Perry, but one of them, you know, surmises, well, one of us could be the next victim. Yes. And, you know, and I, I was hoping that it was going to be, you know, Lois. What's going to happen here is, is we're going to get Lois as a waxwork, but, but no, um, yeah, they all, they all went off to the to the next event, which still had quite a lot of people going to it. The people of Metropolis back in the day, they were some dark souls. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that I'm sure there are other forms of entertainment in Metropolis back then, but goodness me, I, I know you. That's a great point. You do sort of have to wonder about that. What sort of perverse glee they were taking mm-hmm. in these death predictions now. I guess in fairness, you know, we're, we're in this age where we're bombarded with content and entertainment demanding our attention. You know, there were some things at the time, but not as much. So, man, you know, maybe this had more draw. I don't know. I suppose it would be, but to buy a ticket to that event would be even worse. You think, if I'm going to die after going to this event, I want to be let in for free. I want my ticket to be comped at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that is, I know that is crazy because it's true. I mean, very well, very well attended these, uh, these reveals and we have Lois and, and Clark and Perry in the audience there. A nice little moment here. You know, they don't show you, they don't go through the business of zooming in on, on Clark's eyes and giving us the little sound effect and showing that he's using his x-ray vision. But, but clearly he is right. Because before the curtain drops, like he's, he's clearly jolted and he starts to get up and you know lois grabs him, she's like what are you doing <laughs> and then the curtain falls and we see that it's perry so i like that that little bit there uh i thought that uh again like we can fill in the blanks yeah no that's what i liked about it i was because i was i was waiting to see when superman would appear first of all i was waiting to see when we would get a glimpse at some special effects but i was thinking oh right oh, yeah and I, and I did go back and, and watch that, that section again you think oh right he's using his x-ray vision there but doesn't we don't have to see it we know that he knows because we know that he's superman 
And it was a, a very interesting way of, of going along with that scene. And then, yes, when it did get revealed, it, um, it was Paul Perry's statue behind that curtain. The drama then. Oh, good drama there. Yeah, I love I love Perry's reaction there where he just he just balks at all of this. And he's like, you're a fraud. I'm going to have you driven out of town. Uh, that was just like classic John Hamilton, yeah. Perry White. Like that was, <laughs> that, was that was it. He didn't have a, a fist to slam down the table. It was like, I'm going to put your name in my paper. I'm going to we're going to run you out of town. You're never going to work here again. And then it's like, come on, we're going like to play in the dad card. So come on, kids, we're leaving this. We're leaving this establishment. Yeah, I know. It's a, and as far as, you know, sort of wondering when Superman's going to show up and all of that, I think this episode is is pretty representative of, especially season one, where some episodes you will get kind of a mid-episode Superman appearance where he'll make a quick save or something like that. But in most mm-hmm. of these, it's it's Clark and Lois or Jim or whatever configuration we're dealing with investigating, really, for most of the episode. And then the Superman rescue at the end. And so... Uh, as, you know, as we've talked about, I think that's one of the main reasons why I'm glad that they made this Clark so confident and capable. But I also think they had to, right? Because they're pinning so much of the episode on Clark as this reporter. And if mm-hmm. he's sort of stumbling around, I don't think we would get anywhere. So I think this works for yeah, consideration. It did work. I mean, he was sort of bumbling in some sense. He was very different to what we see the Superman at the end of the episode. But it was, I, I liked that mystery of them trying to solve the case it was like a detective story it's them trying to find the true story out of it you know as as we said like a good journalist and that is why i'm i am excited to watch more episodes of this because i want to see more of that relationship i want to see more of their them honing their skills and 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 getting juicier stories that's what that's what i'm looking forward to nice uh, so the next scene is one we already talked about where Perry refuses the bodyguard and smashes the table and, and all of the debris from the ashtray flies up yes. at him. Uh, so from there, Clark is woken from his slumber. Now, side note, apparently that footage of Clark waking up and answering the phone is, was taken from another episode, The Secret of Superman, when uh, Jim's mother calls Clark because he hasn't come home. That was the episode where uh, there's a doctor who is drugging Daily Planet staffers with truth serum to try to get information on Superman. So it seems like wow. we had a little bit of reused footage here, but on the other line, it's Inspector Henderson saying, get Lois, come down to to the to police headquarters. Something's happened. Yeah. I was like, that's, whenever you're giving bad news to somebody, don't say, come down here. I need to talk to you. Because then you're just left with all these thoughts in your head. And that is when your head becomes your own worst enemy. Just hit me up. Give me the bad news straight away so I can react accordingly. But it was like, wow. He's just woken up, he's got given this news, and now he's got to get all the way down there to find out what's going on. Oof, tense. I will say, and I suppose this is probably a function of, if, if they were reusing footage that they only had so much to work with, but this Clark, this season one George Reeves Clark, I don't think would have just said, oh, okay, I'll be there. This Clark would have been like, no, tell me now. Like he's a very impatient is the word that I've kind of come back to a lot with this Clark. He's nice. very much like, like let's go, let's go. And so I feel like, uh, you know, if they were filming the scene wholly from scratch, this Clark would have been like, no, you'll tell me now. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you've woken me up. What's going on? We don't often see Superman in bed or Clark Kent in bed for that matter. But when we do, he's being woken up. It's like, give the man five minutes rest for goodness sake. When he's not being a journalist, he's off saving the world. Give him his sleep. (laughs) I know, for sure. Filmmakers and movie fans alike 
should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail-order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah. So, uh, I mean, it is a, a very grim uh, scene here when we're, when we're with Lois and Clark and Henderson, and they found only Perry White's shoe. And apparently... Wow. There were eyewitness reports that he that he jumped off the pier to his death like the others. And they Henderson mentions how the clerk from the newspaper club saw Perry stumbling out after 2 a.m. And he looked, he was like wild and maybe he was drunk, which Clark is very quick to say. Perry White's never been drunk one day in his life. Yeah. Uh, not to take us off on too much of a tangent here, but we we I, we talked about this a lot in that Secret of Superman episode about this newspaper club. Because in that episode... Harry White is staying at the newspaper club. And similarly, it's like two in the morning and he's ordered up a coffee and sandwich. And and we, we talked in that episode about like, what, what what exactly is the newspaper club? I mean, it seems to be a hotel slash full on living quarters. I mean, I, and now with this episode, I am kind of wondering, I think he full on lives there. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, we don't get to hear about these side stories about these characters too much, but what's what's going on at home? Why is he going out to this place to live? Why is why is he, you know, having to not go home at night? Why is he hanging out in this sort of almost bachelor apartment situation where where anything can happen? Yeah, I know. I it's uh I, I remain puzzled by this, but uh but it, it's quite all right. I'm I'm along for the ride here. But yeah, <laughs> I mean the, the stakes have been raised. Now, of course, you know, as we're watching this, you know, we know they're not gonna kill off Perry White, but it's still again the mystery is deepening about like, what exactly is happening here. And I think what's the I guess suppose the, the main value of a scene like this is, you know, to see Lois and Clark's reaction to something like this. Wow. Right. I mean, they quickly go back into investigative mode and try to figure everything out, but just even for those those brief scenes or moments where like they think he might be dead um you know it's a different angle to explore yeah and again it was um some fantastic acting in a very short amount of time you know yes we know these characters respect each other but 
their friends as well as colleagues. And, and we see Lois truly react to it. And it's, you know, it's, it's a sad moment. And But as you said, yes, it doesn't take long before they're right. Let's find out what's happened to him. Let's let's get the truth because this isn't the truth. We need to find out why this happened. Well, so speaking of the truth and the, and the why, so the next scene we're in Lois's office and this is where- I, I, I love this. Again, and I don't, I don't mean to, to nitpick, but there, there are a couple of like critical pieces of information that Clark just kind of throws out there that seemingly they've known this whole time, but it was never said to us, right? The fact that all three of the, uh, the suicides jumped off the same pier into the, into the harbor and no bodies mm-hmm. were ever recovered. And just it, a shoe. Just the shoe. So again, it, it, it's fine, but it definitely, right? It, had we, I mean, I guess I understand why they held that back because as soon as you have that information, I think the the picture starts to come into focus here a little bit. But mm. I don't know. I, I guess it's just one of those things where it, it was a little frustrating because, like, seemingly they knew this all along, and we were just mm. in the dark. But that's fine. But it's when um the phone rang and and it was like this is Lois's office, yeah, and Clark just clearly for me, I'm taking this phone call, and he even says. I'll get it. It's probably for me. Why, Clark? Lois is just as good as a reporter as you. Do not assume that that phone call is for you. It's for Lois. <laughs> I know, man. That that really stood out as well. That was so funny and odd because, I don't know, it was, it was like he could have easily just said, I'll get it for you. Yeah. Or he didn't <laughs> need to say anything. He could have just, just grabbed it. It was a very sort of cocky, confident move to take on. I was like, I don't think I could ever do something like that. Or, or you know, so I was out sort of going around somebody's office or someone's house and their phone started to ring. I was like, oh, I'm assuming this is for me. Even though this is your phone, I'm going to take this call because I'm much more important than you are. <laughs> I know. That's the thing. And it's like, they're working on the same story, right? They're, yeah. Exactly. And, and even if, okay, they're, maybe they're expecting a call from Henderson, but it's like, it's, it could be for either. I know that was that was so funny. I know, very cocky, very arrogant. Like, oh, this must be for me. <laughs> and it was, and they sort of they, they both leave the room, and, and there's this, just a huge shot of the door that says Lois Lane. I was like, are, are you sure that's your office, Clark? Is, is he going to take that as well? I know. Well, so it is Henderson, and he, you know, Clark's going to go meet him, and he tells Lois to wait, and then of course Lois doesn't wait, and Lois goes to the of museum. Course. And uh, Lois really cracks this wide open. Although I, I did, th- you know, this part of the episode was cool because Lois and Clark each kind of break the story, break the case in their own way, right? They, you know, and then it all comes together. But so Lois sneaks in as the museum is closing, right? The Andrew is is kicking everybody out and she hides behind one of the statues. And then after the doors are locked, uh, we see one of the, the figures and, and table kind of slide over and this trap door opens and Selena comes up and... You know, to your point earlier about Andrew and the dynamic between them, this part of the episode I thought too was was particularly fascinating where, you know, Selena makes a comment about, oh, we have room for more, you know, down there, right? Uh, or either down there or in the gallery. I forget exactly what she was referring to at that exact moment, but room for more, right? More victims. Yes. And Andrew's really not having it. And so I thought it was interesting to see that tension between them, that they're not 100% aligned on this. No. And, you know, he's trying to reel her back in, let's say, and I think this is probably enough now. We've done this far too much already, but she's just, she's gone by this point. She's like, she's got that look in her, in her very, very vacant eyes where she's like, this is my show. This is, you know, it's my name on the invitation, not yours. I am the madam here. 
This is this is my gig. You are simply the muscle, and it's only the reason that you're the same size as all our victims that you're around. This is the only reason you're here. I know. And then orders him to go make coffee. I mean, she's really yes. <laughs> go make. She the doesn't coffee. mess about. Go make the coffee. Yeah, she just does. She as, as if he's not doing enough already. Yeah, I know for sure. They have quite quite the operation, but uh, but yeah. So you get that insight into their dynamic, and then after they go off to have coffee, apparently Lois, you know, f- kind of follows the same method and, and enters this basement here. Uh, mm-hmm. And she, you know, knocks into the table and it causes a ruckus, which of course will later, uh, 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 you know, attract uh, Selena and Andrew. But she turns on the light and she finds these four alleged suicides right in as we said before these exceedingly tiny cells <laughs> i like that part because it's only she she got down the stairs she got under a table she made a noise she turned on the light and then all these inmates who had the ability to speak and raise the alarm didn't say a thing it was only when she they're probably well, they're probably thirsty and hungry, so they might not have much energy to sort of raise the alarm, as it were. But it's only when sort of Lois spots them that they sort of come alive and say, oh, yeah, by the way, come come and save us, please. <laughs> Love that. I know. That was very funny. And also, one thing that I noted here was when she's talking to Perry, Perry's like, get Kent. Call the police yeah. now. And I jump ahead to the end of the episode here for a second, because this is something that's come up a bunch of times, this whole notion of of Clark being perceived as cowardly. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the episode, in in our final little wrap up scene, uh, we're in the office with Perry and Lois and Henderson, and Clark comes in, and you know we've had the whole Superman save and all that, which we'll get to. But they, you know, they ask Clark, "What happened to you? You know, you disappeared, right, in the wax museum before Superman showed up." And Lois is quick to say, "Oh, you know, Clark, he always disappears." Okay. Then Perry is like, "Oh, he was probably hiding behind one of the wax figures." And Clark, ever the great sport, just kind of smiles. He's like, oh, I was hiding behind Superman. And that's our button and we're out of the episode. But I'm saying to myself, I just feel like there's always this disconnect between how Clark is portrayed and how the characters seem to regard him generally, right? Like yeah. when, when Perry, you know, Perry didn't have to mention Clark at all, right? In that scene where Lois finds him. But his, the first words like, get Kent. So which one is it? Is Clark a coward who's going to hide behind a wax <laughs> figure? Or is Clark the guy you want when you're discovered in an underground prison? You can't have it both ways. You can't. Pick pick a side. Do you want to be like your hero or, or the scapegoat or, or the butt of all your jokes? Pick one, please. And, and you can see why Clark Kent and Superman have so many issues with dual identities when nobody wants them to be either person. <laughs> Yeah, it's again, I think it's just this contrivance of the show, right, where they they have to sort of account for why people don't put it together. And so every now mm. and then you'll get these little things about like, oh, he's he runs away, he hides. But again, I think in terms of what we're shown, you know, we're told, oh, he's a coward. But what we're shown is is well, the yeah, opposite of that. No, he was taking charge of every scene and also Lois's phone. You know, he's the, he's, he's the man you want by your side. He gets the job done whether he's in the cape or not. I did like this interpretation of Clark Kent because it is very different to everything we've seen before. I think everybody brings their own dynamic when they're portraying Clark Kent. It's not always that bumbling idiot or that person that is deep in thought. Everyone's got their own little niche aspect. But I did like the confidence of George Reeves and the man can fill a suit that frame of his shoulders, I was like, okay, I don't know how you can't put these two together. 
but they're not obviously the persons playing each other. But dude was he, he was he was packing those big guns. Yeah, a wonderful wonderful performance uh, as as Clark and Superman. Such a yeah, such no, a joy watching this for sure. So before Lois can do anything though, after she finds the victims. Uh, the other two come down. Of course, you know, Lois tries to hide under the, the table. This was a great bit, though, where they look around, they can't find her. They don't think to look under the table. But then Selena leans on the table and it flips and it <laughs> whacks Lois in the head. And she's like, ow. Spray the head. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, we got a tussle between them. And, you know, Selena puts her in a headlock and they chloroform yeah, her. Does. Yeah, just yells for the chloroform as well. Get the chloroform now. So, yeah, another dark little moment. Yeah, I know. No doubt. Uh, we cut to the pier where Henderson and Clark are poking around. And this is where now Clark is really formulating his theory because he looks under the pier. He sees this little area where, and it was, I don't know what it was like on your TV when you were what, but like it was, I could barely make out what Clark was it wasn't, seeing. I don't think it was 4K back then, but it was, uh, <laughs> that's a sort of like, oh yeah, that's what he's doing. And I sort of put two and two together. I have to do my own detective work. Yes. Yeah. But that there's this area underneath the pier where he says someone could, you know, climb up a rope. Right. And it starts to articulate this theory that, and I think it's in this scene that it's mentioned that Andrew is impersonating these alleged victims and is wearing a wax mask of their faces, which again, we, they never even attempt to show us like what that would look like, but a cool idea, very mission impossible esque. That's it. That's maybe where they got the idea from originally. But no, when we do see these people in, in the wax museum, they're not even made to look very waxy. I mean, I know they're dealing with black and white cameras back then, but they just, I, I was looking at them very intensely to, to see if I can see them breathe or blink. Nothing was done to make them look like a waxwork, but they were, honestly. Yeah, I know. That's the th- look a different as we always say with 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 these episodes. You know, not only was it a different time, and they were shooting these very quickly with not a lot of money, but also too, like in terms of how they were going to be viewed on small black and white televisions. Once, oh, you know, yeah. like that's the yeah. other thing when we talk yeah. about this all the time. It's like, well, now we pause, we like <laughs> zoom in, we're studying there's, it. Yeah, there's no there's no closed captions, there's no subtitles. I can't go frame by frame. We'll just enjoy the story. And that's what I, I ended up doing. I was enjoying the story. I was I was I was along for the ride by this point. So the small parts of the storyline that we don't necessarily want to be told about, we, we don't mind because we're enjoying where it's taking us. That's one thing that I, I've noticed as I've been doing all of these podcast episodes is that you know, I don't love every single aspect of every episode, but typically when whenever I do have an issue with something, it's usually story or character related. Like I've not really any sort of limitation in terms of the budget or production or technology. I get like that. That usually doesn't bother me. It's like any time where I'm complaining about something again, it's it's more more story based. Uh, you know, I think in terms of what they were able to pull off production wise for the time, for the budget, for, oh, for, for the shooting schedule. Amazing. Like it's like, really pretty incredible. So. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, so we so we have now, again, now it's kind of all all coming into place, this idea that uh, these people have not been jumping off the pier. Andrew just impersonates no. them. They're abducted. Uh, they stage the suicide. He climbs out and, and, and so on. So we are back in the basement now where Lois has been locked up. And this is where, like, Selena has full-on lost it at this point. Megalomania has kicked off. She doesn't care. She's literally gone off the rails. Um, Andrew doesn't know what to do, but <laughs> this was, you, you can feel the, that this tense situation is somehow 
getting even more tense. I know part of me, I think one episode with these characters was probably enough, but part of me would have, would have wanted like oh. a, more of their home life. I want to see their first date. I want to see their first date. I want to see when they uh, started arranging the wedding. I want to know what their first dance was. I want to know where their honeymoon was. I can't get enough of these characters because I want I want their origin story because they, you've got one that's clearly quite henpecked and will go along with most things. And then you've just got Selena, who is in charge of the whole outfit. I want to see where her motivation came from, to say the least. Yes. And no, I, I agree totally. It, it is really funny watching this scene. And again, she's just cackling maniacally and she's drunk on the power, right? Like oh, she yeah. really seems to be taken with this idea that, uh, you know, everyone's kind of hanging on her every word about who she's going to predict <laughs> next. And, and yeah. yeah, like you said, I mean, Andrew just looks like, uh-oh, like, <laughs> I'm going to do it with her. Not, yeah, not again. I can't keep up with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? In all honesty, it's like, who, who do you think is responsible for, for whatever sort of prisoner care is going on here, right? In mm -hmm. terms of getting them food, maybe giving them some sort of outdoor time or at least some kind of opportunity to stretch their legs. I feel like maybe they one at a time, they'll like let them walk around the basement and then go back in. I, I mean, I don't know the hygiene aspect, but I feel like all of this falls on Andrew. He's got a lot on his plate, bless him. He's not only got to, he's, again, he's got to go and get all these these matching costumes of these people that you know. Oh, that's clearly Perry White shoes. He's, he, you know, he's got he's gone to the same cobbler. He's gone, but it's he's doing a lot of the work. Yes, uh, Madame Selena might be a fantastic theatrical host of her waxworks evenings, but again, there's always somebody behind that Wizard of Oz curtain. And in this situation, it is Andrew that's doing all the hard work. And again, doesn't get any credit. Poor old Andrew. The, I got to tell you, these are these are the aspects of the episodes that I probably have the most fun talking about when we sort of speculate <laughs> about like what's going on between the scenes here. Uh, but I think we're spot on with our analysis. I think really Andrew is carrying a very heavy oh, load yeah. here in this partnership. So we're now building to our climax here where upstairs yes. Clark and Henderson show up. Henderson's like, I want to look, take a look around when Andrew and Henderson walk off. Clark pretends he has to tie his shoe. And then he goes into the other room and he changes into Superman. And presumably again, we're not shown this, but presumably used his x-ray vision because he knows kind of exactly where to go. Yeah. He knew exactly where the trapdoor was. He didn't bother about pressing the automated button that made the, uh, the bust move across the floor. He just whipped out, opened that secret staircase and, uh, and, and flew down the stairs. That was quite dramatic. I like that. That was a good move. You know, especially in this, you know, one of the things that we see over the course of the series is just sort of the, the sad to say, but like the physical deterioration of George Reeves and, and, and I don't think you necessarily see much like this in the later seasons, but in the first season, one of the recent episodes we just did, uh, where he like runs and jumps over this fence and it's like, wow, like it's great to see this guy move in here too. It's like he, he flies down that staircase, yeah, yeah, like yes. smashes into the wall. Uh, it's great. It's, it's funny. And again, we wouldn't have an episode if this happened. So I get why not, but you know, especially when Clark was in this museum multiple times previously. Right. And he clearly had some sort of sense that something was up. Right. Mm -hmm. And clearly he already used his x-ray vision to see that it was Perry under that curtain. Maybe, maybe, you just kind of scan the whole place and real quick, <laughs> just give it a once over you with know, the x-ray vision. Yeah. But here's the thing. There's, there's lots of different going back all those many, many decades ago, 
There weren't as many guidelines for health and safety. A lot of people were using lead-based paint. So that's probably what it was. He couldn't see through the floor. He could have heard them. Maybe these prisoners were being gagged at some point. That's something probably that Andrew was in charge of because it certainly wasn't Selena. But he, he couldn't hear the prisoners. But in that situation, he did save the day. So well, it's it's fine. Yeah. No, I like that. I'll, I'll go with that. So yeah, he finds everyone downstairs. <laughs> and you know, we have now our final altercation here. Andrew shoots at him. Of course, the bullets don't hurt. Superman just throws no. him down and clocks him. I mean, this is like- He does? Yeah, this like, is wow. like classic like, season one Superman. He's just constantly <laughs> punching the bad guys. Right. So yeah, now you've sold me. You know, sometimes, you you know, physical violence, it, it doesn't, it's, it's not right, but sometimes, you know, it's needed. But yeah, point blank shots to the back with a little pistol as he's bending the bars open, which I, I love a physical, you know, a physical effect. And it was it was basic, but it was great. As if I was a kid watching that, you know, back at the back in the day, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this is like this is the Superman that I've read in the comics. This is the Superman that I've heard on the radio show. This is the guy that I've seen in the cartoons. But it's a real human being on my TV in front of my eyes. There's no cheesy cutaway. He's bending those bars open and then, yeah, and then giving Andrew a, a good clock to the face. That's the thing. And I know this comes up constantly, but just the the physicality and the fisticuffs that season one Superman engages in because it's so divorced from what we are accustomed to seeing. The only people we ever see him punch in the comics and other you know subsequent movies, TV shows, animated series, it's other superpowered beings. Yeah. And so there is something kind of viscerally thrilling and satisfying about just seeing him clock these guys. <laughs> if Again, if, if there's more of this in season one, then you've sold me. But yeah, Dude, it was... Not only... Th- look, <laughs> not only does he punch the bad guys, but there are numerous instances we've come across where he needs to render someone unconscious so he can change into Superman. And allies, friends. And as Clark, he just knocks their lights out he just punches them right in the face multiple times <laughs> sold absolutely sold <laughs> yeah it's, that's efficient though it's, it's efficiency that's what it is yeah now that's the thing like in in you know modern years we've seen kind of the flick if he needs to do the, something I, like I, that. I, do, I do like the flick there's a little flick to the front of the head it was like that's still quite a risky move to do to someone but if you're gonna knock someone out just just clock them they won't they won't they won't believe it was you superman it's fine yeah, I mean, one of the, I mean, not to, but not to rehash, but it's been quite a few episodes now. But one of the episodes, the My Machine, he's Clark's in an airplane with an with a character played by Stephen Carr, uh, Doctor John Hurley. In this episode, yeah. <laughs> he's playing a doctor or a scientist assistant in this episode, and also as a pilot. And so Clark and and this guy are in, are in the plane, and Clark has to change into Superman, and so he puts on the autopilot and he just punches the guy in the face. <laughs> See, that's the Superman that I need in my life. It is. It that's the thing. It's really it's a different flavor, but you get you get into it and it's like, oh, okay, I get this. It's different, but man, there's something very, very entertaining and enjoyable about it. He's getting the job done. That's what he's doing. So again, Andrew's down for the count. Selena gets the gun. She's gonna shoot Lois. Of course, Superman intervenes, throws her over to Henderson. He uh frees Lois. He discerns that she's all right, she's just been drugged, and then we have our uh little uh, resolution scene in the Daily Planet offices, which we talked about before, where they're all kind of debriefing, having a champagne toast. They're all very pleased. Oh, yeah. yeah. That. that was a great work environment. That was fantastic. It was very Mad Men-esque. I was like, okay, all yeah. right. 
<laughs> go along with that. Uh, and then, of course, we have that exchange that we talked about where Clark comes in and there's this, uh, you know, sort of speculation about what happened to him. And then our little button there of him saying, I was hiding behind Superman. And then we're, we're out of the episode. And then there was the guy at the, the newspaper stand that I was very excited to see. An Easter egg in a show as um, as as aged as this, because there were Superman comics in the background. So there were some action comics, some Batman comics, and some World Finest comics. Now, as as we mentioned before, it's uh, it's hard to zoom in on on quality such as this. But I was trying to find out which comic issues they were. They looked like some good issues, but I love when any time a comic is referenced in a Superman show or a film, it's just very very meta. And um, for me. To have that in this episode was like, okay, Luke, yeah, you you picked a good episode for it to be your first one. Well done. <laughs> I'm so glad. I had almost forgotten that. I'm so glad that you mentioned it because, yes, we do get that great bit where, yeah, this very meta moment where you see Superman comics on the newsstand behind the vendor. It's it's a great, a great, great moment. Yeah, it was a little tough to see exactly what it is. I'm sure there's there are sites out there that have pinpointed exactly which issues I, they were. But I it was but it was just so it was really, really cool to see. I love yeah, that. nice little, tra- little transition from all the drama and the guy, you know, it's all sorted out and then back again to the guys drinking their champagne in the office. But no, a, f- a fantastic episode. Uh, my, f- I mean, I've seen clips of the show many times over the years. I- I've seen bullets bouncing off him. I've seen him doing stunts. But for my first episode, as it were, um, yeah, I- I'm hooked. I want more of this. I want more of that storytelling. I want more of this version of Lois and Clark. I definitely, definitely want more of all of them together because, yeah, it's great to see Superman, but when these two characters, whether it be Perry and Clark or Lois and Clark, it's it's great to see that chemistry between them, and I want more of that. A hundred percent. Well, in that case, I think you'll really enjoy certainly the rest of season one, and I, I, I wish you well on your journey as as you as you watch more Thank of you. them. I will, I will be coming to you with the questions. I'll watch the episodes and I will enjoy your podcast afterwards. <laughs> well, thank you. No, I really appreciate that. And I so appreciate you coming on. The last thing we have to do before we remind everyone to check out your site and podcast and all that is thank to you. rate the episode. So we typically give a rating on a scale of one to five fedoras. Now, this may be particularly tough in your case since this this is the the, the, the one entire episode that you've seen, but... Nevertheless, where would you, where would this land for you? As I said, I don't have much to compare it to, but if this was my first time, I was being very, very unbiased and I wasn't a Superman fan. And, you know, I was watching it in this time period of this coming out. It's great escapism. It's great storytelling. It's short and sweet, but to the point, it's got evil characters. It's got suspense. It's got drama. It's got twists. Um, For me, I'm going to give it a 3.5 fedoras out of five. Excellent. Excellent. So it's enough there to want me to keep coming back for more, but there's, I'm sure there are other episodes that give a bit more punch, but this is, um, it would, it would definitely get me coming back for another episode. Gotcha. I, I think I'm actually going to go four on this one. Oh, okay. I'm going to go four. I really did enjoy it. And Especially as it's funny though, I think what happens sometimes is my enjoyment of the discussion sort of colors and enhances my enjoyment oh, or good. my memory I of like the episode. That. Good. <laughs> I'm glad. But but no, I think this was especially as we were talking through everything, like I said, there were really only a couple of 
actual issues that I had with the with the episode. Yeah. For the most part, I think it really held up well. And again, I really appreciated just the the tension, the mood, the atmosphere. And again, yeah. it really was a solid mystery that they constructed that even upon rewatch, I was like, okay, I don't remember exactly Still where we're it. going here and I enjoyed it. So I'm going to go four on this one. Four, four for me, three and a half for you. I dig it. What, what's been your, uh, your, your lowest ranking episode? Which one do you like the least? <laughs> you know, what's so funny is, uh, uh, as host, I really need to be doing a better job of, of maintaining a list of what my ratings are. The audience, <laughs> the audience might actually be able to answer this better than, better than I can, but the, um, the deserted village and the rescue episodes, those two, I would say were probably my least favorite and I gave them either a one or a two. Those were pretty low. Okay. Those were pretty low. Okay. And if it was my first time watching this show and you were suggesting an episode for me to watch, which episode would you probably suggest? Oh, that's a great question. So we very recently covered the stolen costume. Okay. Where a burglar finds <laughs> the Superman costume <laughs> in Clark Kent's closet and hands it over oh, wow. to a pair of gangsters. It is it's a very, very well-known uh, Adventures of Superman episode, even beyond people who, who are familiar with the show. That, that's, that's definitely a standout. It rings a bell. That, that's a great concept. Yes. It's a fantastic concept for a story. You know, I, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it's a very kind of controversial ending, and it will prompt some, some thought and debate. So I, I, I would urge you to take a look at that one. Honestly, Superman on Earth, the, which gives us the origin it's not it's not necessarily indicative of the season because it's it's its own story but it it really does a nice job i think of telling the the story very efficiently over 20 minutes and i had Zach Moore from always hold on to smallville he he was on for that uh and we had a lot of fun there's like i'd be here forever you asked for one recommendation but uh and then i would <laughs> i'd also say the mind machine one of the ones i had mentioned earlier i think that was a really strong uh strong outing and gave us some some really fun kind of thrilling Superman action in the middle of the episode. Oh, and then well, last one, I promise the, the night of terror, night of terror where okay. Lois is held hostage at a motel when she's trying to take a vacation. That one is very dark, very, very tense, you know, relatively speaking, <laughs> but, uh, Still that. but yeah, if you kind of like this vibe, I think you might like this. So those are a few that I would say, you know, maybe take a look at And the, again, with the way that, the shows were shot and aired and everything. There's no serialized storytelling, so you can jump around however you like. Oh, good man. Good. Well, I'll more than likely start with that origin episode and then just dive in in some sort of order. But yeah, as I said before, thank you for uh, taking up more of my free time with more of this show now because, you know, as if I needed more entertainment to get lost in, I've been, um, this is going to be a fun journey. I know of it for sure. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. I thank you for taking the time very much. I really enjoy it. This is the first time you and I spoke and I'm really, I really, really had a lot of, a lot of fun. Where would you like to direct people? Um, just look wherever you're on, whatever platform you're on, just look for the geek of steel. And then um, my bearded face will pop up somewhere now and again. <laughs> I'm, I, I am tend to sort of, I don't do TikTok. So one thing I don't do mainly because I just don't understand it. But everywhere else, just look for Luke Bug, the Geek of Still, and that uh, you will find me. Um, I love sharing my passions online, whether it comes to, it could be Superman, it could be movies, it could be podcasts, it could be me talking about my latest book reading challenge. Um, we mentioned this before we started recording, is that I just love speaking with passionate people. And sharing passions online, it, it's, a, it's a bridge between two people where you can both talk about what makes you happy 
And that's what I'm all about. It's all about that positivity online and doing fun things like this. And even though this may have been the first time that we have spoken, sir, it will no, it won't be the last because I've still got so many more things I want to ask you. And um, I will be honored if you will be a guest on the podcast of still very soon. I, I would be honored. And I thank you very much. And I hope people will check out that podcast, which will be back by the time this airs. So available on all major yes, podcast platforms and YouTube as well. Correct. Correct. Excellent. Correct. Sir, as well. That's it. All right. Terrific. Well, Luke, thank you so much for joining me. Audience, thank you as always. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. We will be back in two weeks with our next all new episode, Adventures Await. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.